sorry again, by the way, if you're new with us about the, the heat in here. I'm just realizing watching some people like shake. They're like, this better be quick. Um, we had some boiler issues uh, last night. They didn't kick on. That's the issue. And uh, so uh, we apologize for the cold. Is this feeding back? I feel like this is feeding back. You got it? Great. So a few weeks back, uh, I went, uh, my sister-in-law was getting married to, uh, to an Englishman. And I, uh, I'm, I am Irish. My mom is 100% Irish. Um, that 50% Maguire, uh, we held on to in my family very tightly. We kind of made up traditions and made up what it meant to be Irish because actually my mom could have cared less about being Irish. But for some reason, as sons and daughters, we, we really wanted to claim our Irishness. So I've had this, oh my gosh, I want to go to Ireland. One of my uncles uh, went a couple times and came back with these like fantastical stories that involved, you know, having Guinness with nuns while singing songs on bar tops with trolls coming out and waving. I mean, it was just, it was, it was all of the goodness. And even if one sixteenth of it was true, it was still the greatest stories I've ever heard. So I was excited to go to Ireland. We were able to kind of finagle a four, five, I think it was like a four-day tack-on uh, to our trip, which is really to Liverpool uh, to, for Ainsley's wedding. So uh, we were looking around for a pub that had traditional music. And we were in Dublin most of the time. So Dublin is a major metropolitan area. So you'd think there'd be like, that'd be every pub would be have like traditional Irish singers. Well, the problem is if you go up to a pub and it says traditional Irish music on the, on the uh, front of the building, you know it's probably not traditional Irish music, correct? Everyone know this principle when you're traveling? If it looks like, oh, look, it's exactly the thing I want. It was built for you, tourist. <laughs> and you're not getting the real thing necessarily. So we looked around, we looked around, we looked around. And we asked around, and we found this little pub called the Cobblestone, which was at the end of this little square. We went, it was like a really junky sign. We're like, this is a good, this is a good sign, All right? It was really hard to find, second good sign. We finally get in, and it's this like pretty small, cramped pub with people just singing, and it was like whatever stereotype you have in your head about a small Irish pub where there's music playing, it's correct, we walk in, and it's like, yes. So we walk over. Now, um, if you've ever been in a pub where traditional Irish music is playing or English music is playing, they're usually just sitting in a booth. They're not up on a stage. So they're just sort of sitting on like a couple booths and a couple chairs that are all in the corner. So we're able to kind of go and basically kind of sit at their feet. So it's myself, my wife, and my daughter. I have a three-year-old daughter, Harper. And Harper really loves to dance. So she's sitting with me, and, and she's fairly extroverted. She's one of these children that hasn't quite like the stranger danger thing, whatever that is in their biology. It hasn't kicked in for her. She's sort of like, you seem nice. Let's go for a ride. White van, love that. Um, so she's uh, sitting there next to me, and um, music is playing, and she's starting to build up courage, and she's starting to do this little dancing. Now, it is Harper's third birthday, literally on this day that we were in this pub. So I'm noticing that the band leader is sort of taking to her a little bit, as you do to a three-year-old child who's dancing in front of you. So he kind of leans over and looks at her, and he's playing with her, and da, 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 all this stuff. So I notice, like, maybe 20 minutes later into this, I lean over to him and go, hey, any chance, like, we're here from the States, we're only here for a couple days, it's her birthday, any chance you guys would sing happy birthday to her? He's like... This is going to be a really bad Irish accent. It'd be like Irish-Scottish combination here. Let's deal with it. I'll 
I'll do you one better. Oh, yeah? Yeah. See, that guy over there is Mick. His name's Mick. Of course his name's Mick. The 73-year-old, like, it almost makes the story seem not real that it's a guy named Mick. It's this, like, like looks, looks like this, like, crotchety old guy, oversized sweater, leaning back. He's been playing fiddle the whole time. He's like, it's Mick's birthday, too. He's turning 73 today. 73, 70 years between them. And then some joyful profanity. And he's like, we've got some cakes. We're going to bring the cakes out, and we'll sing happy birthday to both of them. Are you serious? All right, so cue this video real quick. This goes on for a while. By the time she actually blows them out, the whole pub just erupts in joy. So you can go to the next slide. So this is her blowing them out. That's Mick on the left. Yeah, pretty amazing, huh? Next slide. Cheers in the cupcake. So I'm told by the band leader, he leans over and he's like, this is not like Mick. And like Mick has just apparently come alive. This is not his MO. Next slide. Yeah. All right, last one. So I want to leave it here. So this is actually the next night. So we go, we leave, and we, we this story's getting way too long. Uh, we leave. Corey goes to take off for Liverpool. My wife takes off for Liverpool a day early to help her sister with the wedding. So we have an extra day and a half, just Harper and I. We go do our exploring around Howth. We come back into Dublin. This pub is really nearby. It's only 8.30. She's on U.S. time. I'm like, let's go back to the pub. So we go, <laughs> of course. Uh, we go back to the pub and we walk in and Mick is right there as we walk in. Harper! <laughs> oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like, I'm just like, everything is perfect in the world. So I go and we sit down again at almost the same spot and they start playing music again. Now this time what they would play a bunch of like, you know, right? Like the traditional music you think in your head. Then they would stop and then someone would chime into uh, some version, right? Or a sort of song like, oh, Danny boy, the pipes, the pipes. Like all of a sudden there's these soulful ballads that were, half of them were in Gaelic, you know, about some sadness, sadness, Guinness, foggy cliff. Old Village Potato. Like, that was every song. It was amazing. I'm not being racist. It literally, like, that was it. It was, it was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Harper picks up on this, that they would play for a while and then someone would sing and they'd play for a while and someone would sing and they'd play for a while and someone would sing. Oh, Harper comes over. Daddy. Yes, Harper. Um, can I sing a song? You're gonna have to go ask Mick. Can you come with me? I'm like, no, you're three years old now. I think you can go ask Mick. <laughs> so sure enough, no stranger danger. Just walks over to Mick. Mick. Yeah, it is Harper. I actually can't hear them at this point, but I know what she's asking, which is, could I sing Itsy Bitsy Spider? He laughs. He turns to his accordion player. His accordion player laughs. I'm thinking, there's no way this is going to happen. Thanks for being nice, Mick. She walks back. She's like, Mick said I could. I'm like, oh, okay, sure. They play a couple more songs. I'm like, this isn't going to happen. We're getting ready to wrap up. All of a sudden, he stops. All right. And you know when a, an elderly uh, person talks to a child, um, 
without like the baby talk that so often we talk to kids with, right? And this is what I loved. He just was like, Harper, right, come on. Time to sing. Like as if like she's like just a grown adult. And I'm thinking there's no way Harper's gonna do this. And she's like. <laughs> like walks into the middle of the circle. And she, he's just like, go ahead. Pub starts to quiet down. She kind of messes it up. Down came the rain, watch the spider out. And the itsy bitsy spider went up the spout again. One second of silence, two seconds of silence. Then just, yeah! In my mind, like, like people are cheersing beer glasses and there's beer just baptizing people around them. People are calling home. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Like estranged family members are being called. Like someone's getting engaged in the corner. Bono walks in. He's like, thank you, Andrew, for your gift to humanity. Like, I mean, it was like, yes! As, as I'm walking out, a couple of the band members came up that were there both nights. I said, I've never seen Mick like this. Mick has this incredible gift of being, of just honoring anybody who comes and plays and anybody who comes and sings, anybody. He's like, they don't care how bad they are. He will give them a spot. He'll cut them off if they keep going. But he's like, the goal of what we're doing here when we come together to play these traditional songs, these traditional songs weren't the songs of the professionals. These weren't the songs that were being sung in the king's court. These are the songs of the villagers and the everyday people. And he's like, these songs are deserving of honor, honor. He said it like three times. Like, there's a worth. And I thought, here's a 73-year-old man giving immense worth in a pub full of people who I'm sure are pretty uncomfortable that there's a three-year-old in the pub right now. Our text today is where Paul in Romans 12 is writing to a church in Rome. And he gives this in a list of things where he's instructing this community what it means to, to do life together. And he says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. This is one of those things that we breathe, we quickly move over and we go, of course, we should honor people. I get this idea of humility. It's a nice idea. It's kind of hard to do. Honor someone above yourself. I want to zero in on the cultural context of what Paul is speaking into and why it has such implications. He is both embracing and subverting the honor-shame culture that he's born into. He is embracing and subverting the honor-shame culture that he's born into with a phrase like this. Because we see honor throughout the scripture, but it turns in the New Testament and these stories and accounts about Jesus in the first church, about what's happening with honor I think the story of Harper and Mick actually um, help us make sense a little bit of what it means for us to honor each other. So honor, I'm gonna give you a definition. This is gonna be really important to kind of hold on to. In Paul's time, in the honor-shame culture that Paul was a part of, so some of you have may, grow, may have grown up in the East where there is a predominance of honor-shame culture in many different countries. This is specific to this time and I found a version of this definition in a number of scholars around this Mediterranean area at this time. And this is my best amalgamation of these different definitions. In Paul's time, honor was a claim to worth accompanied by public acknowledgement of and respect for that worth. 
Now, even though this was really culturally centered, this pretty much is, I think, is how we view honor even today. It's a claim to worth. That person's honorable, that's saying that person has some, has some worth. And it's either something that comes internally or externally in their own eyes, and it needs to be validated by the social group. Those two facts will be really critical to make sense of where we're gonna land at the end of this teaching. Honor was either ascribed or acquired. So if it was ascribed, it's like who you already are. If you're a Roman citizen, you already have like a baseline of honor. Think of honor as like a tank. You've already got like a claim to worth that's fairly solid. If you're born into some sort of royalty, right, you would have some more honor, position, citizenship, or honor could be given to you by an honorable person. Now, second, honor would be acquired, and this would be very similar in our own culture. Success, and not just success, uh, some sort of internal measure of success. It's something that needs to be socially reinforced. Now, something to understand about honor in this culture is there is, uh, it is scarce. It's a limited good. There's only so much worth to go around. There's only so much honor to go around. Now, it wasn't like there was like a meter in the middle of town dispensing honor. But right, you can only, in a particular social sector, you can only give so many people so much worth or it just becomes meaningless, apparently, in this culture. No more honor is available than already exists. So, you were always on guard. This is why wars were fought, literally, over things like honor and the honor of the king and the honor of the society. Uh, one way to think about all this, if you're struggling with this, would be uh, credit rating, modern day credit rating. How many of you 23-year-olds are scared to check your credit score? Yes, thank you for the honesty on that. How many of you have phones, like phone calls that come from unknown numbers and you tell yourself, you tell yourself that they're just telemarketers, but you know deep down they're creditors. Anyway, anyone, anyone, maybe just me. That was, I was paying off like calzones from college at like 28 years old. <laughs> Thank you to my wife for <laughs> saving me. Um, <laughs> credit, it's like a credit score. This would be how you'd view honor. So shame, just to really put simply, and we're not gonna spend a lot of time on shame, is uh, simply the loss of honor. Shame is simply the loss. So you have this claim to worth that's reinforced by position or reinforced by success, and then it's, um, it's validated by society. That's why in an honor-shame culture, specifically the one of Paul, um, perception is king. How you perceive others and how others perceive you is how you gauge your worth. It's a great thing we don't struggle with this today, right? No one out here perceives their worth based on someone else. I was talking to somebody the other day about Halloween costumes at the park. And they were like, yeah, I thought about going on Pinterest because I'm really not that creative and coming up with great Halloween costumes. And then I thought, no, nah, maybe tomorrow I wanna like remember how like insufficient and inadequate a human being I am. Anyone resonate with that sentiment? <laughs> It's like, yeah, maybe I'll check Pinterest tomorrow to see how many other cool, like, moms and dads, like, have amazing Halloween costumes for their kids and how I can't think of anything. Awesome. Oh, that's great. Your house is spotless. Awesome. Oh, great. Like, you had time to get a haircut today. Anyway. So what I want to look at for Paul, this writer who's writing into Rome is this culture, 
as he's writing to this church and saying, honor others above yourselves. Why is this such a fascinating, subversive statement? Paul's lens is a gospel lens, a good news lens, a Jesus lens. A fundamental belief that your worth comes from God, that you are are reconciled into a new family that transcends bloodlines and transcends marriage ties. A family where Jesus now is king. This is the church. Anthropologists call the church in this time, it's a fictive family. In other words, it's a deeply bonded family that isn't linked by marriage ties or bloodlines. It's a gathered family around something else. And what, one of the things that unites is this reality that Jesus is king and that the way this king is is a king of love and grace and mercy. You don't have to earn your worth that you're made in the image of God. So God, so Paul's walking around in this Roman culture with a Jesus-centered, gospel-centered lens and he speaks in. And he, there's some things he embraces, but mostly he reframes and subverts so one of the things he embraces is the strong family ties that exist in Mediterranean culture. There's this idea of reciprocity, which is, um, uh, and you may have seen this if you have friends who grew up in honor shame cultures. I, I, I'm, I have a friend of mine I've gotten to know. He's been sharing with me about his family. He's Chinese American. And he shares with me often about how uh, he's been helping his brother out. And within siblings and with family, no one's keeping tabs there's no, there's no one's keeping tabs of how much money he's given to help his brother. There's this reciprocity in familial, a strong familial tie where no one is holding X over Y. This is not happening. And so Paul goes, that is so much like the God of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is, this is like Jesus. And there's things that are... are are, are owned and embraced. But then there are things that are reframed and subverted. He looks around at this honor culture and the one thing, the one way someone would be deserving of honor, the one way someone could receive honor other than being born into it or without having gained a level of success, the only other way is if an honorable person grants you worth. If an honorable person in your uh, in your community, if an honorable person in your family were to say and state in some public fashion and give you a sense of worth, to uphold you, to actually place and position you in a different sort of way. That would be the only way you would be able to receive honor. That's how you would have a claim to worth. With that in mind, Hebrews 2, 6 to 7. There is a place where someone has testified, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Son of man that you care for him. And it goes on later, you crown them with glory and honor. The one that we are told in scripture is deserving of all honor and glory, the God of the universe, the author of all, who all creation affirms his worth, has given us honor, crowned us with honor and praise, crowned us with worth. Our claim to worth 
comes not from our bloodline and it comes not from the success that we've achieved. It comes from God. Our worth is given to us by God. For those of you who've grown up in the Christian tradition, this is not news. But what this does and what happens is is if we don't spend enough time zeroed in and focused in on this reality, it will deeply affect how we treat those around us. It will deeply affect how we speak life into other people. It will deeply affect how we see the relationship, the relationships that God has given us. Genesis 1, we are made in the very image of God Psalm 139 says, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. All the days of our lives were written in God's book before we were ever born. Immeasurable worth, we just ID'd for Parker. Hey, Parker, by the way, if you could understand what I was saying right now, if you were cognizant of what's happening, you need to know this is where your worth comes from. It's worth pointing out even, I've mentioned this before, but if you look back and trace the roots and the ideas of universal human rights, it, it it actually comes from the Judeo-Christian understanding of being made in the image of God. The reason we have UN statements is because of the Holy Scriptures. There's something that we inherently know and we believe and have tried to believe, but specifically in a culture like this, where honor and shame were, were, were only couldn't be traded, they were either earned, identified, or you would try to keep and guard it. Paul is saying something differently. Something different. He is reframing and subverting all of this through a Jesus lens. The one who is ascribing honor. The one who is ascribing honor has ascribed it and crowned us. And so be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Paul is saying in a culture where we take it, where we try to keep it, where wars are fought over it, where today in our environment, in our culture, and on social media, we jockey for how much worth, who's worth more. We don't say it in those phrase, in those terms, but who has more value? Paul says, we don't keep it. We don't try to take it or guard it or position ourselves like a bunch of insecure children. We give it away. We give honor away. Honor one another above yourselves. This is what we do. In a culture where your claim to worth was based on external and ascribed realities, we are told that your claim to worth comes from God alone. In fact, elsewhere, Paul gets, like, this idea expands and grows within Scripture. We have him calling a whole group of people, the Gentiles, those that are seemingly worth less than nothing. Those are the Jewish people, the children of God. This tribal group that's meant to be a blessing to the world is pushing out and saying not worth. They are not worth to be called children of God. Paul is saying, actually, I'm going to bestow on you the greatest honor. He pulls, he says, the dividing wall has come down. What Jesus has done is said, you are actually and you have always been in deserving of worth. He's giving honor to those seemingly unworthy instead of being preoccupied with how to get it. Because the writers in scripture know honor is not a limited resource. Honor is not, there is no scarcity with worth. 
He knows there's plenty to go around. See, it's a joy to give away what you have received in abundance. It's a joy to give away. If you've got like extra stuff, you love giving, right? How many people have been like, God, I will be the most generous person in the entire world if you would just make me wealthy, right? If you've got plenty of something, it becomes a bit easier to give away. That's how it is with your worth. That's how it is. So this idea of insecurity is something that comes from sin. It comes from the brokenness inside our own hearts and that around us, that we wouldn't be grounded, secure people willing to place people on our red carpet who may not be fully deserving in our eyes. That we could look around and see people crowned with honor This is one of those concepts that feels so easy to grab hold of and yet feels so hard in some ways to actually live out of. It's something, and this is what I love so much of our culture, which I know is an annoying kind of phrase to say as if there's one culture. But so much of the noise that I see is that of course everyone has like immeasurable worth. I think people would say that. But the way that gets fleshed out is by simply constantly jockeying for position and claiming and holding on to your claim to worth, why your ideas are always better, why your stance is the best, why your people are better, while you just don't understand. It's a constant holding on to and conserving. It's scarcity. It's not the life of Jesus. It's not the life of Jesus. It's a joy to give away what you've received in abundance, crowned with honor. It's like Paul saying, this is how we roll in this family. This is what it means to be part of this family. We aren't worried about our loss of worth. We aren't concerned with claiming our worth. We know what Jesus has announced over us as people of immeasurable worth. And because of all of this, we give honor away. You can give away what you're not afraid to lose. Amen? You can give away what you're not afraid to lose. And some of us think if we honor that person, if we bless that person, if we speak life over them when we know that they're going through that thing right now, we know what they're really doing. We saw what they did last night. We think that all of a sudden that we need to patrol and police. I'm not talking about holding friends accountable and loving them and coming alongside them, but we honestly, it is so easy for us. I don't know what it is about human nature. I've been preparing this message like throughout the week and it's like in doing that, I've been like seen time and time again where the idea of placing someone on my red carpet who does not feel deserving in my eyes, it's troubling. It's troubling. You can give away, though, what you're not afraid to lose. Why am I so scared of the perception? Is my sense of worth governed by what other people will think? Is my sense of worth affected by my own internal reality of what's been spoken over me, of the things that have been said to me? So sitting in that pub in Ireland, like grown men and women, elderly people playing these songs, these rich songs, this outsider from the States comes in with no stake in the community and they are honored like one of their own. 
honored like one of them. They turn and honor my little girl, Nick and his band of miscreants. <laughs> honor and say, you have a claim to worth here. It's just singing silly Irish music and playing silly songs. And, but there is this imparting. There is this giving away. So here's what I want to land all this. I'm going to pause this thought and we'll circle back to it in two seconds. But I want to put this uh, list up here. Next slide. It's really important, and I would do a disservice if I just landed the sermon here, because some of you may be thinking, look, there are literally people not worthy of honor. And so I want to acknowledge some things that are happening in Scripture. First of all, the giver of all honor, as a follower of Jesus, gets the highest praise, the God of the universe, who it says in Revelation, all honor and glory are due. Okay, so we start there. Jesus deserves honor. Can we all agree with this? Like, more than anyone else. We ascribe worth. We give, we give a claim to worth to God. That's why you came here, if you're, again, a Christian, and you came and you stood up and you sang. Maybe you didn't know you did that. Maybe you regret singing this morning. That's why we did that. That's part of why we did it, to remind ourselves that you're not God. It's a bit of a reality check. It's a giving acknowledgement and honor where all worth is due. So we can all agree there. Second, it talks about in scriptures that elders and leaders uh, deserve like a double honor. The reality of this is these are people who are leading, who are helping come alongside and help others grow up and, and becoming the honorable, loving followers of Jesus they're meant to be. Can leaders abuse power? Absolutely. Do they often? Yes. But the reality in scripture is that when you have these healthy leaders in the community, they are deserving of a special sort of honor. They have a claim to worth. Third, parents. This is a hard and painful one for some of us. Honor your father and mother is one of the central commandments. This is how we do life. Some of us have really awful parental situations. It's gonna be the most awkward transition ever, but I just wanna have you take a moment and consider your belly button. <laughs> Hashtag consider the belly button. Consider the button. How many Audis do we have in the room? Oh, Audis, come on. Don't be scared. The belly button. It reminds us of what? What does it remind you of? What does it bring to light, the fact that you have a belly button? You were connected to mom. You may not have been, no, you definitely wouldn't have been here if it wasn't for mom. It's a baseline, just a baseline, before anything else. Maybe they were the worst parents ever. It is a, it is a lesson in humility. It's a lesson in humility. Honor your parents. On a very baseline, they gave you life. It's a reminder. I mentioned my friend, uh, he's getting married uh, recently, he's Chinese American. He, he was talking about in their ceremony, one traditional thing in an honor shame culture, um, uh, like he grew up in, is you first bow to God, then you bow to family, and then you bow to your bride. Right? There's an acknowledgement that regardless of what's happening with mom and dad and how great or how awful they were, that there is some sense of honor due to them. But here's the thing. Of all the, the tears of honor, where honor may be more doled out, Paul is saying as followers of Jesus, we recognize that everyone is deserving of honor at a baseline. 
The kind of honor that Romans 12.10 commands has nothing to do with who people are or what position they are in or what they produce. We are to honor one another above ourselves because God loves and values all people. Because God loves and values all people. That we are to honor each other and they are deserving of honor and we don't have to worry about the scarcity because we have a God who doles it out in droves, who has crowned us with it. So my question today as we wrap up is who's on your red carpet? There are all sorts of people who you honor. There are people that with your time you honor. There are many who are racing out the door to go see Tom Brady play because we honor Tom Brady. Some of you can't stand Tom Brady and believe he is deserving of no honor whatsoever. Some of you don't even know who Tom Brady is. I forget what church I'm in sometimes. I love you guys. <laughs> Right? There are people and figures and celebrities, authors and leaders, some maybe very deserving of and some not. But who are the people actually in your life deserving of honor? Who are people who have poured into you, who have loved you and prayed for you, that you need to acknowledge them? Because what I want to land at is not just a reminder that you have immeasurable worth, though some of you need to hear that message this morning. No, what I want for most of us as we're closing this series on speaking life I want you to acknowledge the power of honoring people. The power and life and joy and freedom and lightness that comes with being somebody who places others on their red carpet and what it does not just to them, but what it does to you. It's why Jesus says it's better to give than to receive. This isn't like a clever verse that pastors can use for tithing 2,000 years later. All right? It's because it's better to give than to receive. It's like the way of heaven. It's better in every way, always. When you begin to develop a culture of generosity, some of you who know who are so generous, you know the kind of security and lightness and blessing and freedom you walk in because you are secure. The same comes when we become people who honor we become people who speak life and lift them up. This whole thing is the reverse selfie. It's the reverse selfie. The selfie is what? Claim to worth. Look how good I look. Look how great my outfit was. Look how great this meal was that I made, right? Look how I'm, I'm in this picture, but I'm really talking about, you know, this other thing, but I look really good in it. So I just came up and I looked up a quote to like do, so it makes me look really deep. Come on. I'm preaching at you. <laughs> so I, I wanna use a hashtag. Red carpet PVD. We had to put the PVD just so, because there's a lot of other red carpets out there as a hashtag. Who this week are you gonna blow up on social media in honor? This is by no means the only way to do this or even the primary way to do this. But I wanna actually commission us with this because most of us, a good chunk of us are on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook relatively often. Who are you gonna blow up this week? Who are you going to put on blast? Who are you gonna say, that person? Let me share with you a few words about that person. Let me honor this person. Let me make a claim to worth for them. Let's acknowledge both those who need to be honored in our lives because they deserve it in our eyes, which is a good thing. 
But let's honor those who maybe don't, who maybe by all normal measures maybe don't deserve honor. Remember, it's honor others above yourself. Be careful to not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Right? Right? Speaking life and speaking blessing is as much about the object of your honor and blessing as it is about you. It changes you. It shapes you into the humble, grounded, secure person you know that God created you to be. It shapes you. There's a freedom and joy that comes with being someone who speaks life. And so finally, when we obey God's command to honor all people, we are ultimately honoring and obeying God. Jesus says, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. When we obey God by humbling ourselves and by giving honor to others, God will personally bestow honor and blessing upon us. This is God's principle. The more honor we give, the more, the more we receive the joy and life of heaven. The more we receive the joy and life of heaven. I've been so blessed. I wanna welcome the communion servers up. I've been so blessed by hearing the stories of folks who have come forward to say, Andrew, just spending a couple weeks on talking about developing a culture of blessing and honor, it has just, it has so fundamentally and frighteningly quickly changed the culture of some of my friendships. Realizing that I don't need to be on guard. I don't need to look at others from a place of scarcity but can see others the way God sees them, to own that and allow that not only to be a blessing to them, but to change me. So who's on your red carpet, both deserving and not? Who do you need to honor and speak life and worth over this week? Who, who around you do you need? to something about when we honor someone. Do we need to be reminded of what they have taught us? We need to remember that we are not a product of our own internal like brilliance. Where do we need to give honor and praise to the one who it is most due? Amen. The God of all. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, thank you that you have crowned us with honor Thank you that you, Lord, are the only one who has given any worth that matters in this world. May we be centered on that, Lord. May we be deeply rooted in the good news of your love and forgiveness, of your claiming us as children, as you waking us up to who, how you have seen us all along. you, the God who gives life and breath. We give you all honor and glory and praise this morning, knowing that you, Lord, are the source of all. In your name we pray. Amen.